This podcast is sponsored by Sound Critical Care, the employer of choice for critical care physicians, where we promote physician autonomy, mastery, and purpose. At Sound Critical Care, we ensure physicians have the time and resources needed to deliver compassionate care that measurably improves quality and lowers the cost of health care for patients in the communities we serve. For more information, please visit soundphysicians.com. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Rakesh Lodha, MD, on his article titled, Polyneuropathy in Critically Ill Mechanically Ventilated Children, Experience from Tertiary Care Hospital in North India, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in September 2019. To access the full article, visit pccmjournal.org. Dr. Lodha is a professor at All India Institute of Medical Sciences in New Delhi, India. Welcome, Dr. Lodha. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Parker. Would you start, please, by giving us some background on why you did this study? What do we know about polyneuropathy in critically ill children who are mechanically ventilated? Uh, thank you, Dr. Parker. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, discuss our paper. Uh, we have been seeing that you know critical illness associated weakness or IC associated weakness is a common entity. And uh, uh, however, in terms of you know studies on the polyneuropathy in children were limited. When we looked at the literature, there was only one study when we began our our, our thought were thinking about our study. Uh, which kind of suggested that uh, the issue of uh, ICU-associated weakness or polyneuropathy in children may be uncommon in children. The, when we looked at risk factors for critical illness polyneuropathy, which essentially came from studies in adults, we felt that a lot of risk factors which are there for uh, development of neuropathy in adults do exist in children. The key factors being sepsis, uh, there would be a uh, use of drugs like steroids and uh, neuromuscular blocking agents. And uh, these were the factors. And in addition, you know, prolonged immobilization and all which, is, which were there. So we wondered whether, you know, we, we need to evaluate this objectively. And uh, that was the reason why we took up this study. Now, because we didn't have much data and the previous studies seemed to suggest that the prevalence in the general ICU population where every child who's admitted in the ICU is included, uh, the prevalence may be low to an extent of up to 2% or so. Uh, for a preliminary study, we felt that it would be good to consider a population which may be at high risk uh, where we could find the polyneuropathy. And that was the reason we chose uh, critically ill children who had been mechanically ventilated. So this was the background as to why we thought we should be doing this study and our initial focus being on uh, mechanically ventilated children. And uh, in our in our part of the country, world, uh, a lot of uh, ICU admissions are related to uh, various infections, uh, irrespective of what the underlying disease or chronic disease may be. So that was another factor uh, which we, we just need to keep in mind in terms of the differences that may have been there as compared to what was previously published. How did you do this study? So in this study, we uh, we, uh, we have an eight-bedded pediatric intensive care which primarily looks after medical illnesses. 
and uh, we kind of included children who were 1 to 15 years of age and who had been mechanically ventilated for seven days or more so it kind of identified the risk groups and on them we collected the the baseline information about the demographics the con uh, severity of the illness uh, the basic diagnosis organ uh, dysfunction scores uh, the therapies that they were receiving uh, the mechanical ventilator settings during the week and on the day of uh, enrollment and thereafter subjected them to uh, uh, electrophysiology the nerve conduction studies and in addition we also looked for uh, blood samples to look at some of the micronutrient levels that may be associated with uh, uh, neuropathy uh, so this was uh, uh, what we did and thereafter we followed up these uh, children uh, wherever we got an opportunity to repeat uh, a nerve conduction study during the ICU stay, we, we plan to do that as well. How did you define polyneuropathy? So we used the, uh, the accepted criteria for, you, you know, the polyneuropathy. We uh, kind of we assessed uh, seven nerves, uh, four uh, motor and uh, three uh, sensory nerves and based on which we uh, looked at individual nerves and if a child had involvement of two or more nerves we uh, called it polyneuropathy and based on the accepted criteria for subdividing into demyelinating or exonal neuropathy uh, we classified them further into exonal neuropathy or uh, demyelinating neuropathy. What risk factors did you consider and why did you choose those risk factors? So the risk factors that we chose essentially uh, came from what was previously published and a lot of data came from the adults and in this we included the severity of illness scores, uh, the, whether the child had sepsis or systemic inflammatory response, uh, multiple organ dysfunction, whether there was any steroid usage, a use of vasoactive drugs, any hypoalbuminemia, a use of neuromuscular blocking agents, and other organ dysfunctions, which essentially uh, looked at the severity of the the illnesses is uh, what 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 is, was considered, and these essentially were based on uh, you know what was what's been considered and reported in studies on the subject in adults. What were the primary findings in your study? How frequently did you find the polyneuropathy? So we, during the study period, we enrolled uh, 32 children in whom we did de detailed electrophysiological studies. And out of those, we found that 90 per 90%, that's 29 out of 32 children had evidence of uh, polyneuropathy. Now, this figure was much higher than what had been reported in one of the studies earlier and kind of close to the uh, prevalence figures that came from uh, studies in critically ill uh, children. And uh, most of the uh, polyneuropathy was uh, of exonal variety and uh, uh, it was uncharacterized in two patients. So nearly 80% of the children who had polyneuropathy had the exonal uh, variant. And the findings seem to persist in the in a small number of children uh, that we were able to perform the study again. Interestingly, nearly uh, al almost all of the children uh, who had uh, a subsequent evaluation of for, for the muscle weakness, uh, almost all children who were diagnosed to have polyneuropathy based on the electrophysiology had clinically significant weakness. 
so these were the as far as the primary outcomes concerned the other things which you were interested in was was the risk factors now given the study design i think in 90% of the children been diagnosed with polyneuropathy uh, we had a very small comparator arm where children didn't have polyneuropathy as a result of which whatever uh, with the planned analysis for the risk factors weren't powered enough to pick up uh, a significant result and the same was the case with the influence on the outcomes like the mortality duration of mechanical ventilation or icu stay or the hospital stay so while we we documented a high prevalence of uh, uh, polyneuropathy in critically ill children who were mechanically ventilated unfortunately uh, our study wasn't powered enough to uh, look at significance of the various risk factors reported in the literature and we'll we'll, we'll have to you know uh, build on this data uh, do more studies to be able to do so were you able to look at uh, longer term um, follow up in these children how long they remained weak or symptomatic so this is one thing which we need to do in our subsequent work in terms of the long term outcomes uh, we followed them up till they discharged but i think we and and uh, as i mentioned the children had weakness which was persisting but i think we need longer term studies and documentation for let's say 3 months 6 months duration to be able to uh, evaluate the impact of uh, of uh, the weakness uh, that is there what are the limitations of your study so the limitations i think we we kind of uh, in in view of limited literature that was available i think we identified a, a, a at risk group and in that at risk group uh, a large number of children had uh, features of sepsis uh, and and so it's it's kind of a, a subset that we studied so uh, that that's one issue the other issue which you which was just discussed was that we need to look at the implications in terms of what's the duration of this weakness and to and when do the findings uh, you know reverse the, the the neurophysiological findings reverse uh we would be it would have been good if we were you know if we did sequential studies right from the beginning and uh, subsequent uh, uh, you know followed up these children both with clinical exam as well as the electrophysiology among the micronutrients we did study vitamin b12 folate zinc and copper levels uh, we uh, uh, in terms of other micronutrients which possibly may have a role is something we you know uh, which we would consider for subsequent work including selenium vitamin e uh, so these would be the main issues that that uh, you know in terms of the limitations uh, of the of the study and as i mentioned in terms of the population that we finally ended up studying uh, almost all children had features of sepsis a large proportion of them had multiple organ dysfunction so in that sense the the generalizability uh, would would be an issue but as i mentioned earlier that we kind of started our work in a setting where there were very limited data available and that didn't seem to suggest it's common even though our clinical experience suggested that it may be common and uh, so subsequent work i think has to be on a population which is uh, where where it could be maybe more generalizable you had a strikingly high um prevalence of polyneuropathy do you have thoughts on why uh it was so much higher in your population than in 
um, other studies in the literature. Granted, there were very few of them. Yeah, so you have a valid point as to, you know, from what is published in pediatric age group, our, our numbers, uh, the prevalence turned out to be much higher. But it's kind of uh, similar to what's been reported in adults where it's uh, it's been in the in the tune of about almost, again, close up to 90%. Now, the reasons uh, which may be there uh, uh, is one that the risk factors uh, like uh, sepsis, multiple organ dysfunction, were were common means most of the children had sepsis and multiple organ dysfunction and sepsis uh, would be work with multiple pathways and it's it's likely to affect the nerves uh, uh, by affecting vascular permeability and uh, energy uptake and all would be would be affected so that is probably one of the major reasons the other is that we diagnosed uh, the condition using uh, sensitive uh, electrophysiology uh, other approaches, including a study that was published last year from Egypt, uh, where they enrolled about 100 children, 100 plus children, and about 30% uh, of them had features of uh, critical illness, uh, neuropathy or polyneuropathy or myopathy. Uh, the approach that they took was slightly different. They kind of started with children who had significant weakness, and thereafter they did the electrophysiological studies. So. In terms of uh, uh, the, the difference, electrophysiology being more sensitive as compared to the clinical exam, uh, it's likely that, you know, that would have contributed to a slightly higher rate as compared to what's been uh, published, at least in the pediatric age group. Uh, in the first study that I referred to, that was a study uh, by Banwell et al., uh, in that, again, the main criteria was a clinical exam, which was done at a variable period from day 4 to day 26 of the ICU stay. And then they went ahead and looked at the nerve conduction studies in them. And in them, the, the prevalence turned out to be about uh, a little bit less than 2%. So I think it's the, the selection of a rather high-risk population uh, it would be a high prevalence of sepsis in the uh, enrolled subjects that, that they have been admitted with uh, are most likely the uh, contributors to a high prevalence rate that we observed. Can you talk about what are the implications of your study and your data to the pediatric critical care clinician at the bedside? What should we do with this information? So I think our study does highlight that uh, in a, in a subset of uh, critically ill children, children who are mechanically ventilated for a period of time, uh, polyneuropathy is not uncommon. I mean, we found rates which are similar to what's been reported in uh, studies in critically ill adults. Now, this may be a contributor to the prolonged ventilation, difficulty in wheeling or weaning or failed uh, weaning. And to that extent, we need to be aware about this condition. Now, the second part would be that if we are aware, we would be interested in whether we can do something to prevent the condition. So, we could possibly uh, uh, consider some of the reversible factors which may be there, particularly the use of steroids or use of neuromuscular blocking agents or prolonged immobilization. Some of these are some of the factors which possibly could be uh, uh, taken care of to reduce the burden of the uh, problem. In addition, we may have to, we may at some time point consider whether neuropathy or polyneuropathy should be 
included or should be a component when we talk about multiple organ dysfunction uh, currently most of it is limited to the these the uh, the call the brain function in a way but whether you know we, we need to include this as a as a component of multiple organ dysfunction uh, would also be an interesting question and uh, over a period of time we need to look at uh, uh, the uh, occurrence or studies which look into uh, occurrence of uh, polyneuropathy in critically ill children in other subsets so we chose only the subset which had a, been mechanically ventilated for a week or more what do you think are the most um, pressing research issues? Clearly, there's a lot that needs to be done, and you've alluded to some of it in your in your talk. Um, what do you think are the most pressing things we need to look at? So I think we need to be able to do sequential studies in terms of uh, defining it further, So, which essentially would mean uh, defining the incidence. Currently, what we have looked at at one point evaluation in children who have been uh, had uh, ventilation for a week or more so this may one would be to document normal function and trying to understand when does during the time course when does the polyneuropathy develop that may give us uh, possibly windows for some preventive aspects or, or trying to uh, you know intervene in those windows uh, the other component would be related to looking at the other risk factors or, you know, having more detailed micronutrient uh, studies and associating with other organ dysfunction. Uh, it would also be interesting or imperative to follow up these children over a period of time to again define the time course of uh, the resolution of the, the weakness as well as the electrophysiological findings, which would be, uh, which would help us in uh, uh, kind of planning out the the rehabilitation strategies uh, for critically ill children. So once we recognize the burden of problem, I think we would be able to institute uh, a, a more comprehensive uh, re rehab plan and a follow-up plan. That's a very well-structured thought about where we need to go next. Um, I think you've laid out a lot of information today. Do you have any further comments you'd like to make? Uh, I think uh, that, that that's fine, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to interact with you. Well, thank you for talking with me today. We have been talking with Dr. Rakesh Lodha from New Delhi, India, about the article, Polyneuropathy in Critically Ill Mechanically Ventilated Children, Experience from Tertiary Care Hospital in North India, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in September 2019. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. This podcast is sponsored by Sound Critical Care, the employer of choice for critical care physicians, where we promote physician autonomy, mastery, and purpose. At Sound Critical Care, we ensure physicians have the time and resources needed to deliver compassionate care that measurably improves quality and lowers the cost of health care for patients in the communities we serve. For more information, please visit soundphysicians.com. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York. She is a former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She is currently serving as associate editor of Critical Care Medicine and senior associate editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved.
Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.